Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up woman. This podcast is brought to you by Hush, laid-back style for rebel women. By the way, if you listen to this on a new app called Entail, E-N-T-A-L-E, you'll be able to see pictures, shop links, and generally have a really relaxing magazine experience. Hi, uh, I'm Emily, and I'm absolutely fine, except for I don't think I am actually fine because I was watching a police drama the other day and uh, someone got arrested and put in a cell and I thought, oh, that looks nice and cosy yeah. and quiet. Um, so yes, that's probably not good. How are you, Annabelle? Um, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but my hair's gone very frizzy. And we're, as you will find out, we're here today meeting one of our heroes and I feel that my frizzy hair does not accurately reflect who I am on the inside, but it's not very feminist to mind and my bra hurts. And my knickers are actually slightly in a twist, but because I'm wearing a boiler suit, I can't fiddle with them. <laughs> but I'm more fine than I would be because we have a proper sensation with us today. She is a writer, comedian, podcaster, but that doesn't begin to cover it. She's a fucking trailblazer. She uses her guilty feminist platform, 60 million downloads in three years, to give space and voice to women in a way that's never been done before. Be it on stage with her in all their diverse glory, in the audience of her live podcast recordings, or just to all those who've listened at home, nodding or crying, or laughing, sometimes all at the same time. She's given us all permission to be guilty feminists, which has made us better, more effective, more empathetic, more inclusive feminists. Deborah Francis White has made us braver. Deborah Francis White, how are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much both for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm absolutely fine. But last night I went to Birmingham for a screening of Say My Name, my independent film, and did a Q&A at the end. Um, but it meant that I missed the 10.30 train back, got the 11, got back in at 1, which all would have been fine, except then my husband and my lodger were up and we all stayed up late talking till 3am, um, just having cups of tea and having a big catch up, which was so fun at the time. But then this morning my personal trainer showed up because this is the longest I'm fine in history. But <laughs> I have, I, I've just discovered that I will not go to the gym. But if a man comes and knocks on my door, I can't tell him to go away. Social awkwardness means that I will let him in. So this morning, my personal trainer came knocked on the door. And honestly, if that had been at the gym, I would have just sent a text and said, oh, I'm not well and canceled. But because he came and basically shook me awake, I went, excuse me, it's time for Australia. I was like, oh God. So I'm fine, but I stayed up at 3 a.m. and then did some personal training this morning. And so I'm a little bit on the slightly wired sign side. How many coffees? Uh, this is my third coffee of the day. My Conservative. Third coffee of the day. Um, I have read, you know, I, Emily and I both read your book, which we love, quite a lot in it about how to say no. Mm. <laughs> but not to personal right. trainers knock on the door. No, well, that's why you get a personal training job, because yeah. you don't want to say... To, I find it easy to say no to personal training, and I, that should be covered in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I find it hard to say no to friends saying, oh, you know, come up for one more or would you read over my book or would you, you know, things where I just go, oh my God, I haven't got time and what if I said no? What if I said I shouldn't have said yes? Because women find it very hard to say no in work situations mm. a lot of the time. I mean, I don't, but you historically have. Yeah, no, I can never say no to anything, so please don't ask me anything. Emily's a compulsive volunteer. Yeah, um. I mean, if, if you need someone to kind of, you know, stand at the clipboard at the end of a race, raining, um, wearing an Easter you know, bunny suit, then I'm your girl. 
I am immediately finding an, an, an opportunity to ask you to do that now, just because I want to see it. <laughs> she would do it. Um, and on the way here, we were talking about um, one of the one of the many wonderful things about your podcast is apart from apart from the feminist aspect of it, is the podcast is the empowerment in terms of podcasting. It's like you do it, and you think someone's going to tell you to stop. And they don't. And we realise we could just do it forever. Yeah. Yeah, you can. No, you don't get commissioned for to do... If you're making a podcast for yourself, you know, now there's more outlets that will commission you. But if you're just making a podcast for yourself, you can just do as many as you want. No one tells you to stop. We do the we do the Guilty Feminist. First year was every two weeks. Um, on the off week, we did a little trailer or something. So there was something there. But from year two, it's been every single week. Every Monday, noon... Uh, Tom Slinsky, our producer, makes sure it's uploaded, so it's always there at noon. And that's a lot of, if you if you're listening at home, you're thinking, yeah, I'd like to do a podcast. A lot of it is reliability, because so many people do podcasts where they go, oh, sorry, listeners, there's nothing this week. I'll see people put on Twitter, haven't managed to get something together for this week, and uh, which is fine, of course. You don't have to do it every week, of course. Or you can do um, if it sounds like too much to do it every week, um, you can bank a load. Or you can say, I'm doing 10 and having a break. You can do seasons. But I love the fact that even at Christmas, Monday, you get the Guilty Feminist. There's, it's never going to not be there. Um, I mean, I say that. I don't know. I've already decided who's going to get it if I die. It's in, uh, Are you I, giving it to someone? Oh, yeah. I'm, I've, I know who I would You're like to take over. You're breathing it to. Yeah, I know okay. who I want to take Do they to. know? Uh, yeah, I've told a sort of small group of people that, you know, I mean, nobody might want the responsibility of, of doing it all the time. Uh, but I think a, a small pool would certainly take it over. Of, of regulars that are already co-hosting yeah. it, you know, uh, I think... Um, uh, I mean, this is a sad story. I'm not dying, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I really like about the about what, you know, when you when you say, I keep waiting for the phone call to tell me to stop and it just never comes, but mm. is, you know, how much, as women, certainly we seek permission and and how you know to be creative as well you think oh god i can't put myself out there creatively because i need someone else and historically as we men to endorse you and say a gatekeeper yeah exactly Mm. and say of course you know um you can do it because because so and so said so or this organization said so and actually you know actually i mean now obviously you are have become an endorser of lots of people lots of comedians whatever but actually that's a wonderful thing to do well, I think, yes, that if you can amplify voices, especially voices that wouldn't otherwise be amplified, uh, that is a wonderful gift. And the fact that I've been able to do that on the podcast has been just a privilege. And I feel like, I mean, who wouldn't want to endorse those voices and who wouldn't want to get those amazing, talented women out there with more people to find them? And there are the thing is the gatekeepers are often, especially in comedy, looking for something very specific. And if you're a woman, you normally fall outside of that. Increasingly, that's that's changing um, as they're like, oh no, diversity suddenly. Do you have any women ones? They say to the agents. <laughs> uh, but even then, I think they get like a few that fall into under various umbrellas for them. Yeah. Um, also, if they have one project, they go, oh, no, we've ticked the woman box, so we'll just keep on with that. It's the, a bit like you. the awards, which are best female, best woman in business. Yes. 
why not just best person in business? Did you see that in Fleabag? Yes. yes. The week before last. Uh, wasn't that a great cameo? Absolutely brilliant. This was Kristen Scott Thomas. And what did she say? Does anyone remember exactly? She remember. said it's so infantilizing and ghettoizing for women. Yeah. Those, yes. those women awards. And then, um, and then, and then she had a brilliant skit about the menopause, about how brilliant it's it was. Fucking awful. And then it's fucking brilliant. And said. how it's suddenly brilliant to not be. Oh God, what was the word she used? The idea that you're no longer a machine. That's supposed you're to just do a something that you're just actually a person. Mm. I mean, the name menopause, men owe pause. No wonder make women think they're sort of, you know, unfuckable shadows with crumbling skeletons. It's a disaster, that name. Rebranding is what it needs. Um, Power women owe prize. Yes. yes, exactly. There you go. Um, I mean, I'm sort, of a, I'm sort of both ashamed and proud to say that listening to The Guilty Feminist for the last few years has, has been the thing that's made me really come out as a feminist and be proud to be a feminist rather than wonder if it was okay to say that. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that. And I think the... Um, You're my Maya Angelou, basically. Oh, don't be outrageous. But I I mean, Maya Angelou's an incredible... She was the greatest poet and one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century, in my opinion. But um, I do know what you mean. I have also feel like I kind of got to a point where I had to take that permission for myself. And I think the initial... In the the initial uh, uh, impetus for the podcast was um, it was twenty fifteen and I remember things happening in the world and mm. I was like I want to be part of this but I don't know if I'm good enough so exactly your feelings around am I good enough to call myself a feminist can I call myself a feminist while I've got these secrets like on the face of it I remember agreeing with other feminists because I wanted them to like me yes and that was an I'm a feminist but one of my earliest I'm a feminist buts was I'm a feminist but sometimes I agree with feminists just because for- I want them to like me I mean is that terrible <laughs> exactly. but I was like feminist sure pleasing. yeah 100% and I just wasn't sure I felt all of the things and was doing all of the things with the depth and the strength and the conviction uh, that I could see radiating off other people but I definitely knew I wanted to be better. I wanted to take up space. I wanted to fight for other women. I wanted to change the world. But within that, there were paradoxes. And I remember Bridget Christie, who's a very powerful feminist voice and comedian. She was so, when she gets stands on stage and does a feminist rant, so funny, hysterically funny. But also, she's so, she's got so much conviction. And she said to me, she only found her audience she played to very smaller houses. She was doing very random, whimsical kind of things that were brilliantly funny, but it was niche. And she said, I just thought before I leave comedy for good, I'm just going to say what I really want to say. And that's how women are treated. I'm just going to have a big rant about that. Chase off my last few fans who are going to go, oh God, I don't want to hear this. I didn't come out for this, you know. And then I'm done. And uh, it was at that point that she said, when I started saying what I really felt rather than trying to entertain an audience, um, that that's when I built my audience really quickly. Suddenly all these women were in the audience going, yes, we also feel this. And she said, when you say what, whatever it is that you really want to say, doesn't have to be about feminism, whatever it is that's burning inside of you, when you say that, that's when you'll find your audience. I thought, well, that's great for you, Bridget, because you are both a magnificent person and also a feminist of great conviction. But what I want to say is I'm a feminist, but... One time I went on a women's rights march and I popped into a department store to use the loo and I got distracted by a face cream and when I came out the march was gone. <laughs> and that's that's what's in my mind. Like I went on the march and I want to. I want things to be better, but I don't always live up to this. And am I the only one not living up to it? And therefore, at the, in the meeting the next day, am I allowed to say, oh, Derek, I just haven't finished yet. And I really feel the reason we need this funding for the diversity and inclusion. Am I allowed to say that? Because I... 
I only made half the women's march because <laughs> exactly. I, do I, I, is, is it one or the other? Exactly. And so when I, I thought, well, that's what I want to say. I'm going to start saying that. And I genuinely did think, well, maybe the feminists will kick me out of the club. Do you know what? On the, but, on the middle, the, the, sort of, the sort of kernel of everything we do is around anxiety and self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And we, were, we grew up in fear of the being the hysteric or the neurotic. Mm-hmm. And in terms of feminism, we grew up against a wallpaper of the rabid feminist. The idea mm-hmm. that it had to be incredibly angry mm-hmm. and also make us, you know, in some way repellent to men and women everywhere. And that was really around in the sort of 90s and the, and the 80s mm-hmm. for us. And this, your brand of feminism is... It's there's so much generosity, and I feel that you know it's like you're allowed to fuck up and say the wrong thing, and maybe you'll offend someone, but then you'll learn. So mm. there's sort of you're what you're giving us is room for improvement, and, and I'm so grateful for the room for improvement. And and we've also got to be aware that anger is a very understandable response to exclusion and can be a useful tool. Yeah, it's just not our only tool. So we don't want to say, oh, angry feminists, they put everyone off because actually anger. Is a, is a useful motivation and a useful driver. And it also is the product of the most extreme forms of exclusion. And as middle-class white women, we don't experience yeah. that. In terms of living in London or living in, you know, a metropolitan, you know, city in the Yeah, with all the advantages. World, we've got we've massive got. privilege. Yeah. So it is unlikely. And also we're benefiting from angry feminist past. Yeah. Yes. So had the suffragettes not got actually violent... We wouldn't have, still have the vote. Do you know? It's it, like so. Their anger allows us to live a life of uh, of increasing equality and increasing space. Yeah. Um, you know, if you watch Mad Men, um, that's the sixties. That's not that long ago. No, it's amazing. There's plenty of women walking around who can remember working in the sixties, who remember being Peggy Olson, who remember being Joan. Plenty of women, and they kind of had to get angry and they had to be the only one and they had to fight and they had to do all of that to get to that place and then if you put on top of that being gay and or being black or uh or brown and or being uh disabled you you there's layers upon layers upon layers there going on so the way i think about it is there are three responses to exclusion um generally um uh, the first is self-exclusion. I don't go down to the Garrett Club and put in a, a um, uh, an application <laughs> yes. because there's no. Point. They've no, told me that you're not men welcome. only on the door. Yeah. So my best strategy is not to apply. Yeah. It's just to exclude myself. And if you're listening and you don't know about the Garrett Club, it's just it's a, it's a sort of club for people in the acting, the arts, theatre world, which I would be um, eligible for but I'm not because I'm female. And that's the point of exclusion. It's gendered club. Um, and it's it's an archaic club and, you know, whatever. I'm not, I don't wake up every morning getting angry about the Garrett Club. It's a, it's, it's you know, it's a very privileged world in itself. Um, um, so that's the most common response is you just self-exclude. And yeah. then the second most common response is um, uh, anger. So a few people from that tribe go and start banging on the door and going, why are there no Jewish people allowed in this golf club? Why are there no black people allowed to use this water fountain? Why are there no women allowed at Cambridge University? Um, so, so you know, and, and some women will have, you know, barracked the Garrett Club, you know. Um, Lord's Cricket Club is a good example. Plenty of women who adore cricket, men only, 
And then women started to say, why aren't we allowed in? And a mere nine decades later, they said, all right, if a man dies, we'll let a woman one in. And now there is upward of four women in Lords. How many members, I wonder? I don't know. I'm making, I'm being hyperbolic. I've got a friend who's a member of Lords who's a woman. But so, you know, that's, that's the next common response is anger. And the third most common response is learning to charm your way past bouncers. Yes. And that's why I think that some of the most influential people in the world are people who are um, of the least dominant group so Oprah Winfrey was the most influential woman in America and one of the most influential people in America for decades if not the most influential woman in America who wasn't actually in power for decades um uh African-American fluctuating weight um had spoken openly about having an abusive childhood nothing about that combination of identities would tell would say oh here's an invitation to the top room to the to the to the biggest stage to the biggest platform um Ellen DeGeneres uh, was uh, have, have been having a wonderful career, then came out as a lesbian. Her career went away. She couldn't get arrested. She was completely excluded. All she could do was play her own shows to audiences of gay people um, who would come out to see her other than she was a social pariah. Um, and so why I think... Now she is the most influential woman in America, probably. She's taken that queen of daytime. If you want to sell your book or get elected or whatever, you need to get on Ellen the way you needed to get on Oprah. And so when you look at what those women have done is their particular natures and personalities and their particular set of talents, although they are part of minority groups that are routinely excluded and both were excluded, um, they they built the muscle of charming their way past yeah. bouncers. They built the muscle of influencing in a very positive and charming way. This is not in any way to judge people who self-exclude or get angry. And there are many times when Oprah and Ellen will have both self-excluded and got angry. But that third tool in your box is a very useful one if you can learn it, which is to self-include, to say, this is my space, this is my party, this is my show. You know, the way Ellen starts her show by dancing alone. And that's oh, yes, the she does. biggest act it's of the, inclusion. It, it is. Inclusion, self-confidence, reassurance to your audience that you're okay with being there. Mm. Um, and you give some tips, don't you, in your book about ways almost that you can stand in order to convince yourself and others that you, you know, that you have the right to be there. Yes, if you if you come on your front foot in front of an audience, uh, rather than backing away from the audience, which will be your instinct. Um, but I love just watching that part with Ellen because she just dancing on your own is the biggest piece of self-inclusion unless you are a trained ballet dancer or something. But she dances, including herself, so for such a sustained period that other people join in. Yeah. And that's why Oprah's and Ellen's and Michelle Obama's are so good. They understand the feeling of exclusion. They know what it's like to be excluded. Actively, actively excluded. They know what it's like to be peripherally included, but not really. You know, sort of, you're in the room, you've got a half a glass of warm white wine and a name badge, but we, you're not, you don't really belong here. Mm. They know those feelings. So they can look around a room and they know who needs to be included, how and when. Yeah. And they make you feel mega included. Well, just no. like you. Yeah. I mean, because also your generosity has allowed someone, you know, women like me, white women with middle class privilege, to have access to the feminist arena and therefore to understand exclusion and to understand anger in a way that before we, you know, we were, we were, we were blind to that, I think. Well, I think I learn every day more and more about... I, I often think I started my podcast to wallow in my own oppression and what I've learned about more than anything is my own privilege yes it's shocked me yeah. over the last three years how much every single day I've gone oh no oh what oh I am really part of the problem yeah. and now I can see quite clearly 
how in the same way that I used to be able to see what a male world it was, quite clearly, because I was female, you notice the doors that are closed to you, you don't notice the doors that are open. Now I see how white this world is Mm -hmm. and how much the power structures signal that white people are more important, that white people are more entitled, that white people should go first and have the best, that white lives matter more. And that has to have an effect on all our psyches, whether we're white, black or brown, in the same way that we are all signaled that male people are more important, male people are better at things, male people... Uh, should be dominant, have uh, have more entitlement to representation. That if there's a panel of six, it's perfectly ordinary for five or six of those people to be male people. We're, we are signalled that all the time. Is this why, one of the reasons you did Global Pillage? Yeah. Yeah, so about, so that was about intersectionality. It was about, it was about turning representation on its head, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was an idea that I'd had a long time ago um, for, um, I just love, uh, proverbs and uh, idioms from other countries and I'd been noodling around with the idea of a, a panel show a quiz show around like in Colombia they say you're swallowed like a postman's sock that's very good we've got a very good one actually from South from Korea from yes. Arginny, which is when someone basically comes in at the end of your work and and basically takes the credit it's called putting the spoon on the table Ah. And then didn't you have one which is, I want to eat your liver? Oh, yes. Which is, I love you so much I could eat you alive. Yeah, it's what, I think that's an Iraqi saying because it was a lady in the audience who was Iraqi who who gave us that one. Um, And because the audience get to play, the hive mind get to play. Um, and they, they're in the teams round, they get to offer a question. So someone will say, oh, I'm from Iraq and I eat your liver. And you, you say it's children. You say like, which sounds really macabre, <laughs> but you say, I love you so much. I can, I can eat your liver. liver. Yeah. Oh, but I can sweet. eat your liver to us sounds like with a nice Chianti. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's very, it's exactly, it's very specific. <laughs> but then we realise, Ned Sedgwick sets the questions and he's always very careful to say. Sorry, who? Ned Sedgwick Wait. sets the questions. He does Grown Up Land and as well, the BBC Radio 4 podcast. And he's very careful to constantly point out he travelled and lived in lots of other countries and things. And he's he's very careful to point out how macabre some of our idioms are, or how weird some of our customs are. So when we were doing um, something about children, and there was I think it was a question about um, which country has a custom where a burglar breaks in in the night um, while the child is asleep and the child is going to be told go to sleep because a man's going to break in and um, but they're not going to take things they're going to leave things and, I was, and we were all like oh my god your child will never get to sleep or something like that you know it's <laughs> yeah. like that's Santa and that is absolutely bizarre and creepy but because it's something we've always had for us it seems festive yes. and lovely you know it seems like oh what a lovely tradition you know it's not really it's a bit weird what have you noticed um, most about the kind of evolution of feminism in the last since you started The Guilty Feminist. I know a lot has bubbled up, me too, times up, all that has happened. But do you think that that has actually affected women's core values and their relationship to feminism? It's definitely changed power structures. I mean, it's it's only the beginning and it's, and it's changed power structures for women who already felt they had a little power influence, mm-hmm. I think is true to say. I suspect if you're working on a zero as contract in a fast food outlet and your boss puts pressure on you to work more hours than you wish to work or puts or, or sexually harasses you 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 don't go well me too you i'm <laughs> taking to twitter yeah. yeah i suspect <laughs> you i know 
Will there be a uh, will there be a filtration process where it gets there? Because I I sort of violently agree with you. Only if we make it, not in a Thatcher trickle down economics type way. Not in a. I'm sure the power will reach the poor people someday. No, not unless we make it happen. Yeah, we have to be the architects of our world, and we need to start being the creators of the sort of world we want to live in. And this is where I'm excited about feminism. This is where I'm so excited about feminism, is I feel like feminism, partly because of the internet and how much how much less we need gatekeepers, is less about let's bring this down, let's bring hammers to knock something down, but more now about let's bring bricks to build the world we do want to yeah, live in. Yeah, I think that's... Let's build it up. Now, this doesn't mean we still don't need to knock things down and, you know, call people out or whatever it is, you know, but it is not simply we stand against it is we stand for. Yeah. It is not we don't want that, but we wish to create this, and we have the means. It's almost constructive criticism, isn't it? You yeah. know, if you can, I don't fear the problem, but you also have to have a a, a, a stake in solving it. And and a build and build something to solve it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And, and, and the guilty feminist has created that space to a certain extent for women, hasn't it? I mean, to to a certain extent, yeah. but it is one podcast. We need to be building many, many more spaces. But I think that you see that hopefully more. with lots of women creating their own economies because they take one look at what's going on there and think this is not for me or I don't feel welcome there. And and actually, the book that I, that um, that I was listening to um, on your podcast the other day, but also Caroline Creator Perez about how the world has been architected mm. by men, and so therefore the reason that we feel excluded, lots of people feel excluded, is because very simple things like office doors are tested by a hundred and you know two hundred pound men. So actually, when you try and open a door, the tensile pressure, the tensile pressure, so you can't open it. So you actually office physically can't get into the office. Temperatures are mm. three or four degrees lower than is comfortable for women. Which means that women and airbags cold. would yep. kill most women and children when they were mm. first designed. Well, crash test dummies. They are almost exclusively male, but if they do make a female one, she's in the passenger seat. She's never driving. <laughs> and I was like, this is the year twenty nineteen. Come on now. And I to be was honest, like, that'd be quite a good. With me, with my driving, that'd be quite a good idea. But did idea. you see but last I, I, week they've abandoned the women's space program NASA have because they didn't have the right they didn't they didn't have suits. Yeah. suits. They didn't have women's astronaut suits. So they just shelved the whole fucking thing. No, no, it was the, the fact that they had that they only had one suit so they were going to do the first all women spacewalk but they couldn't do it because there was only one suit that fitted. And they couldn't make more. So the two women have to had to go with men. <laughs> And then they say, oh, it's more complicated and that's very expensive and blah, 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 blah. But, but again, it's an example of the default place yes. is masculine. And, and, and that has been the case for 10,000 years, yeah. that the default space is masculine. And if, you know, you might be a woman working in a very, very female-dominated industry, but then look around, are all the, are all the committees, are all the departments run by white people? And if they are, question that. And start to just create other spaces. You can just, it's not that difficult. You just invite people. It's industry, but it's storytelling as well, isn't it? For example, the Harvey Weinstein film is directed and produced by a man, isn't mm-hmm. it? But Reese Witherspoon is doing interesting things around that creative space, isn't she? Well, yeah. Um, Reese is doing, uh, she started her company, Hello Sunshine, and she was told she'd lose her shirt. Mm. There's an amazing viral video, I think she accept, she was accepting a Glamour Award, really went viral, where she was saying, it's not, we're not niche, we're big I business. I love that, we're niche, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's, she is making an argument to investors, to people who wish to make money out of movies, because movies thrive because people wish to make money, ultimately. So she's saying, I don't think that's what she cares about predominantly. She wants to tell female, she wants to tell the stories of women and have women tell the stories of women. 
But the the argument she's making is a fiscal one because she's saying, look, the Hunger Games took this much money. You know, Captain Marvel's just taken a billion. Um, and that's got a woman in the lead, if you didn't know. I yeah. didn't, when I first heard Captain Marvel, I'm a feminist, but I'm a I feminist thought it was a man. Oh, me too. I didn't know. And then I saw it and then I cried during the trailer. Like, oh, no. And Captain got- Marvel's a woman. Did anyone else know Captain Marvel was a woman? I, I did, actually. I don't know I mean, how. It's, no, I don't. No, but you don't, well, you don't know. Do you know why? Because default, because, yeah, captains exactly. aren't captains women. Yeah. Aren't women. Do you remember it's that, that joke the name. we were at school and, and it, was, it was a riddle and 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 and, and someone comes oh, in on yeah. a stretcher and the surgeon goes, "I can't operate on that person. It's my right. son. How is that possible?" We'd sit there scratching our beards. We didn't have beards then. We do now. Scratching our heads, and then eventually someone would say, "Because the doctor was a woman." Do you know, I heard of that at a DNI thing a couple of years ago by yeah. this chap who came along and it was so old fashioned what he was doing. It was a DNI thing for a, and a law firm or something, diversity and inclusion. And um, he told this. So, so, the, so the full thing is uh, a man um, and his son. A, a man and his son come in. The man is killed. His son is in a critical condition. The surgeon says, I can't operate on him. He's my son. How is this possible? And the answer is, of course, the surgeon is a woman. Oh, my God, surgeons are women. And, but when this guy was doing it, I went, oh, he could have two dads. And he went, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And I'm like, you're the DNI guy. His whole job was to be DNI. And I was like, how can you not see that? The patriarchy are angry, though, aren't they? Oh, yeah, there's a bad... I mean, it's, like, it's almost like... The, it's, I almost feel like the Trump administration is saying, yeah, ladies, you've had your fun. Mm. You know, it, it's a, it's so dark because oh, it's such a pushback. Yeah. yeah, it's a fear. It's a fear. The patriarchy is striking back. We are in the uh, the second uh, episode Star two. Wars. Yeah, no, we're in the second Star Wars now. Eight or whatever. Yeah, it's 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 Star Wars. Yeah, of, of the original three. Of the original three. Yeah, yeah exactly. Empire um, strikes. The Empire strikes back. Yeah, Return of the Feminist is coming soon. <laughs> uh, that's clear. But I think. Uh, this next generation, and I'm, and we are looking to them to solve a lot. Which other generation just went? The teenagers will fix it. <laughs> it's like Winston Churchill going, they will fight them on the beaches when they turn eighteen. I'm sure it's going to be fine until then. <laughs> They'll take Fridays off school to fight them in the trenches. You know, it's just, it's which other generation went? I'm sure the te- listen. Do you know what? And that's what we're doing. We're kind of going, I'll recycle. And I'm sure the teenagers, they're so good on climate change. Yeah, the young people will come up with something. My eight-year-old is taking Fridays off school. <laughs> so it's all going to be fine. It's like we are putting a lot on that generation. They'll sort gender out. They're so much more, they're so much less binary. They're so much more inclusive. They'll sort out period poverty. They'll all be you know, vegans. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. They are. You know, they're all They're all becoming vegans. And they're but all, you're not allowed to say vegan. You have to say Plant-based diet. They all, they all, they all eat a plant-based diet. Live well, a plant-based life. You can, you are can say, plant-based. You can say vegan if, <laughs> if that's your ethos. If you, if you don't have the full ethos, then I think you're meant to say plant-based diet. But they certainly have greater plant-based diets, and that that and a chunky percentage of that that generation will have a, a much more of a plant-based diet than we have traditionally had. And it's just, just it's they. I mean, I feel a bit like they're missing out on their childhoods because. They're worried about the world. Yeah. Um, climate change. I mean, we've got to slow climate change in the next 12 to 15 years or it is unslowable. The UN yes. has said that. And if we don't, it is unslowable. Yeah. And one of the biggest things we can do, I'm meeting the head of the Environment Council and she's already told me the three things individuals can do. Not have children, go vegan, fly as little as possible. And if we all did that, we would absolutely solve the problem. So my thing is you've got to choose two out of three of those. Okay. Because if we all do two out of three, so my two are, I'm definitely much more vegan than I was. 
Um, I rarely eat meat ever unless someone's cooked it for me or something like that. Like I don't choose meat. I eat fish, um, which I know there's overfishing, but in terms of climate change specifically, um, I have cut out meat and I try and cut out dairy. Like I've cut out milk on my coffee, things like that, that I've tried really massively cut back on dairy. Um, and I haven't had a child this morning and I'm not okay. going to have another, I'm not going to have a child tomorrow. So, okay. so you're, you're, warrior. you're winning. Call me an eco-warrior. Yeah. I fly. You fly? Too much. Too much. But that's my, that's my, you've got to choose two out of three. And I, my worst one would be to have a child and then I have to be at home, eat vegan food and I can never go anywhere. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that sounds you awful. Vegan sitting, staring at your vegan child. I'd just be like, oh. Thinking, when are you going to save the planet? I'd feel really trapped. I'd be like, yeah, get older and save the planet. You promised us. You've, you've <laughs> made us a promise. It's the only reason I had you. Exactly. My thing is, you don't have to be perfect to be a force for meaningful change. In the meantime, mm. let's look through Deborah Francis White's handbag. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a very glamorous handbag. Um, this is, uh, it's a, it's someone called, it's a designer called Aesk. So it's, for the listeners at home, it's it's sort of like a patchwork of silver, black, white and gold. It's an Australian designer. I get a lot of my nice clothes and handbags and things in Australia because that's when I've got time to go shopping. But also... Uh, then no one else has it. And they go, oh, where did you get that? And I go, oh, Melbourne. <laughs> I'm an awful person. And they're so much better than like, Zara, it is reassuringly full and bashed up. Well, this is uh, this is the first thing in item is sip, um, which is a water bottle that I got given at a corporate. So I try and take my water in that rather than get bottled water. Planet um, saving. Yeah, I got given it at some kind of, maybe it wasn't a corporate, I got given it in some kind of goodie bag. But I am concerned about every time I go to an event and they give you a sippy cup and a coffee cup and this, and I'm like, that's going to take a lot longer to break down than a paper cup. And if we all get them all of the time, and I've lost so many keep I've been cups, given four in the last month. That's my concern. Also, is, they all leak. Mm. They do. They leak. They, I mean, one leaked all over my phone, all over my... They I mean, leak like If you're going to commit to it and you're going to take it with you and that's what you're going to do, great... But if you're going to get a new one every other time, then don't do that. Get a paper cup. Paper cup will buy will degrade. The next thing in my bag, am I meant to be taking this? Yeah, is uh, it's a little pamphlet that says feminism on the front. And I went to Camden School for Girls, invited me to go and speak. And this is their International Women's Day brochure. So it's got lots of lovely pieces uh, in it from to inspire the girls and from the girls. Do yeah. you notice a difference in the way that, you know, a 16-year-old girl reacts to you as opposed to your audience where the average age would be what? I don't know. Well, they, they, they the, the head girl had invited me because she was a huge fan of The Guilty Feminist and they were sort of very excited when I turned up. So they are big, big listeners. And the fact that they're putting together a feminist brochure and having an International Women's Day event, we were never doing that at school. No. Then. Packet of tissues. Um, scrunchy. scrunchy. Now, this scrunchy <laughs> was just given to me but I have found it quite useful for yoga. Also, scrunchies are back, by the yeah. way, if you uh, care. Are they? Well, yeah. I've got one. So Posh wallet. <laughs> posh wallet uh, that my husband got me years ago. And this is one of those ones where it is quite posh, this wallet, but I have had it for years. Um, also, it's, it's a, a nice blue. I very, I, like... I very much approve of wallets and purses that aren't black or brown or dark colours because you can find them more easily and they're cheerful. They are cheerful. That is a cheerful wallet. And these are my sunglasses and they've got little, um, they're a company called Boca and they've got little... He, instead of arms they've got legs so they've got little high heels <laughs> oh, but also in my sunglasses case uh, a pair of earrings that I've taken off at yoga or something and some uh, 
false eyelashes that are magnetic and <laughs> they stick to the magnet. I tried them and they half blinded me, I have They to say. worked well once and then they were all bent out of shape and I couldn't get them to work again. So that was a bit of a, again, speaking of the environment, a bit of an environmental nightmare. But they are in there attached to the magnet on my on your glasses case. case. A uh, little bit of benefit eyeshadow. Um, benefit big Chan beautiful eyes eye contour kit. Uh, Chanel Chance perfume. Is that is that your signature scent? That is my signature scent. <laughs> Chance. Mm. Yeah, and this this whole little bag it's a Kurt Geiger bag with a little sparkle on the front that I'm very thrilled with. I love you for having a Bobbi Brown concealer with no lid. Highlighter I, with no lid. I'm afraid I have got quite a lot of no lids. Um, this is, I highly recommend this. This is Lucas Porpor Ointment. Mm. It's in a red tube. You, I think you can get it here now. You but can. You've be... been able to get it here for about 10 years and it got very popular on the front row. Like oh. all those fashion girls were using it for a while and then all the Aussies it's... were saying... What the, are you talking about? We've had it for years, right? By the front row, do you mean the front row of, of London Fashion Week? I mean the front row of all the Fashion Weeks, yeah. I think of BBC Radio 4's front row. <laughs> I was like, I can't imagine anyone on front row caring. But this is great. If you've got a little rash or an itch or anything like that, it's so I am very hivy You need that. I, I, I just think, in fact, I've got a little something here. So I'm going to put a bit on. But it's great also as sort of if your hands are dry or whatever. Cuticles. It's just... It's just generally genius. It's made from pawpaws, and it really, really, really actually does work. Um, this is a this is a lipstick that I love. I've got loads of mostly gone lipsticks. Do you get to the bottom of lipstick? I find it quite hard to finish a lipstick. Oh, this is uh, this is um this is I'm very happy with this. This is this is a a, 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 um, a receipt for from the Odeon Cinema. Uh, my local Camden Town Odeon Cinema, which I've seen hundreds of films at, because that's where I go. I can walk there from my house for my for own film. film. So oh, can, you tell us, film. can you tell us in sort of three sentences what it's about? Because we're going to talk about I it. I can. Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to show you the last things in my very good. thing first. This is a ring. I got to do, I was very lucky, I got to do the Four Weddings and a Funeral uh, comic relief reunion. Um, and I got to be a sort of featured extra. I was loitering around with Andy McDowell at the wedding. And one of the things that you could do to contribute to Comic Relief was to buy, you know, the famous ring in... Um, yes, when he, when she, Scarlett doesn't have the ring. Exactly. When, when he doesn't have the ring and Scarlett has... Hugh Grant has. forgets to yeah. bring the rings as the best man. So he, he purloins some from the audience. Um, and he gets these really silly ones that Scarlett's had on. One is a, um, a big heart that's all lots of colours. And uh, the company... Who's the company that do all the fun necklaces and stuff? Tatty Divine. Oh, yes. And Tatty, so Tatty Divine remade 100. And if you bought one, the money went to Comic Relief, but you also got a signed page of the original Richard Curtis script. Wow. For Four Weddings. So that was one of my contributions this year to Comic Relief. And I've got the ring, which is there it is in my bag. Fabulous. And what are you going to do with the page of the script? I'm going to frame it and put it on my... I'm getting a new little gallery at the bottom of my steps. Um... And some Dr. Perricone cold plasma. I got that. Somebody gave me that as well, and I'm, I'm like, I've, I've, I just love it. Absolutely love it. That was that was from the awards as well, and it's just absolutely fantastic. So, um, my movie, in the Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Carling, Viola Davis model of women in Hollywood taking over, uh, and just going, screw this. We're sick of movies where women don't get to do anything or say anything. Um, 
uh, we're going to make our own films. And Lisa Brenner is a working actress who wanted to be part of that movement and decided, could she do an independent version of that? So she picked up one of my scripts um, that the director showed her and she said, yep, let's make it. And we made a movie, which is absolutely amazing. And it's, uh, it's, my friends in Hollywood tell me it's very, very rare for a woman to get a, to make a movie with gags and guns. This is like an old fashioned screwball comedy where there's a mismatched couple on a one night stand and they get gripped together and, you know, they can't get apart. They get involved with some bad guys. Um, you know, she's the one that can get them into trouble and out of trouble. She's the wisecracking, fast talking one. She she's knows, got agency. She's got agency and she knows what she's doing. If you listened to the lead female character in most films and television show, there would be no story. Yeah. She wants to kill the story. She's going, don't go outside, Dave. There might be a plot out there. There's no need for that. <laughs> Stay inside with me. It's just nice watch television and eat pizza. Yeah. Even in something like Modern Family, the husband will be going, oh, I've got a trampoline and a petting zoo and a fire- fireworks for the kid's birthday. And the mother will be going, that's outrageous. Why are you doing that? You know, it, it's... it's it's what will the neighbours think? Yes, yeah. total killjoy. Yeah. It, and kill action. I yeah, completely... kill action. Yeah. Even, you know, you can be a killjoy, but are you killing the action? And invariably, the woman is there to make the woman, to, to make the man seem reckless and brave. And we wanted to make a movie where the woman was proactive and the heart of the story. Yeah. Um, the, the movies that women get to make, if, if we get to make a movie at all, it's something romantic. Um, and the standard form for romantic comedies now is a woman wants to own a cupcake shop, but she's not brave enough. <laughs> what She has to meet some guy who t- is a total loser in every other way, but he does make her believe that if she really wants it, she should go after that cupcake shop. And she makes him realise he should be making handmade tables. The end. <laughs> I was like, what? When? when? I, I just don't know any women that want to make own cupcake shops, but the ones that do, do you know what? They just They're do running it. cupcake shops. And they're loving it. They're having a great time. They watch Bake Off. They've, they've got... God they've bless paint- them, because imagine how stressful it would be to have a cupcake <laughs> Yeah, shop. but they've painted Ooh. the front. They've come up with a fun name. They're running a cupcake... Even in Bridesmaids, her cupcake shop yeah. had gone bust. And she I, was very, very sad about it. Couldn't stop walking past it. And couldn't stop making cupcakes for at home. I, I, <laughs> I don't know one woman who's ever said, do you know what? I wanted to run a cupcake shop. And I just didn't have the courage. And then I met a loser man on Tinder... <laughs> And he was the catalyst, you know. It wasn't my best mate going, I'll invest. It wasn't my mum going, you've always wanted to do this, just do it. No, no, it was a random man off Tinder who was actually a bit of a loser and smoked dope all day, but he saw it in me. He went, no. And now he makes all the tables. Now he makes all the tables. (laughs) I've never heard of this story. This is not a true story. Why? Why? And it's rom-coms have become about this. Sometimes she's a journalist. She wants to be a hard-hitting journalist writing about human rights, but instead she's, for some reason, writing for the most frivolous women's magazine in the world. Or she's doing the the marriage and engagements column in the newspaper. She could be doing that. She could be be a wedding planner, something, events. But she's definitely doing something like that. But he makes her realize that what she really wants to be is x a more important version of that or a soul trader and that's why she loves him and i'm like there's such it's just not what i know of any of my friends none of my friends have gone i only had half a career until he or she came along that's just not how we operate that's a different part of your life i'm not saying nobody's ever encouraged their partner but i'm saying it you you're not like i can't live with him he's untenable he's unreliable he's he turned up to my sister's baby shower drunk 
Oh, but he has made me realise. That cupcakes are my destiny. That cupcakes are my destiny. Yeah, <laughs> definitely going to run to the airport for that guy. Um, no, and uh, that. What's oh, your film called? Say My Name. Say My Name. And can we go and see it? Yes, anywhere? you can. So you could come to the gala night in London at the Leicester Square Odeon Luck, so where they have all the big premieres. It's on the 23rd. You can buy tickets. If you go to guiltyfeminist.com or the Odeon website and put in Say My Name, you'll be able to find it. Um... It's a red carpet night, but you can buy tickets from, I think from 15 quid, maybe 10, maybe there's some at 10. We're doing it with as a celebration with Amnesty International because I'm an Amnesty ambassador and we're actually making a very exciting announcement. The Guilty Feminist and Amnesty are working together. We're making an exciting announcement on the night. The dress code is glam. So that can mean whatever it means to you. So if you're coming straight from work um, and you work in an office, can I make a recommendation? Because it's a Tuesday night, 23rd. This is what I've discovered. It's very on trend. You work in the office in your business suit, sure, sure, sure. You go think, oh, no, I've got the premiere tonight. I haven't got time to go home and get changed. All you do is you leave the office, you take your shirt off, you have a nice bra underneath, boom, you're Amy Poehler at the Oscars. <laughs> I'm telling you, okay. it's such a winner. We were led to believe when we were growing up that a lot of our energy would be spent trying to work out how to get from office to bar and day to night. And oh, fact, the yeah. The way that you do that is you, you walk to the bar. I know, it's disappointing, isn't it? Day to night, yes, in magazines. <laughs> Oh, you, you, you'd whip out a you whip out a, a necklace or something. Yeah, a statement. Yes, exactly. statement. Something my statement. Favorite. What about a statement attitude? My favorite recent joke on the guilty feminist. It's not come out yet, but Cal Wilson, um, in New Zealand, was saying that um, that she had a statement necklace. Uh, I've got a statement necklace on tonight, and the statement is, "Don't look at my neck." <laughs> <laughs> Such a good joke. Such a good joke. Um, uh, <laughs> but anyway, you could just wear your fam- favorite feminist T-shirt. Whatever glam means to you. There's no rules. No one's gonna. But I. I admit that I might be wearing something. Will you be wearing a cape? A little bit plunging. I may be wearing a cape. I don't know what I'm going to wear yet. I'm excited though. Uh, yeah, please come. It's going to be so much fun. Everybody's welcome. Uh, but also, can yes. you hashtag, if you enjoy it, hashtag Say Man in Movie. Yeah. Yes. And or say hashtag Say Man in Movie, where can we see the movie? And yeah. to, to, because distributors will respond to that. The more people hashtag it, the more likely it'll get distribution and come to a cinema near you. And Hero of Ours, Deborah Francis White, are there any mantras? that you live by when you get up in the morning and you feel that you can't? Ooh, um, uh, so in terms of the guilty feminist, sometimes I feel depressed about the world. Um, and I, I wrote a book um, that some of you may have read, but it's available, coming out paperback soon, uh, called The Guilty Feminist. And I had to do a chapter with in which, uh, it's called Here Is Raw, and it, it was a chapter in which some some of the fans of the podcast had asked for specific speeches that I'd done on the pod, on the podcast written down and I thought I don't want to just write them down I want to think about something more useful for people to you know it's nice to have them to read but something more useful and so I thought I might talk about how I wrote them um and I realized with the Trump one I was so devastated when Trump got in and we decided to do an emergency episode because I thought we've got to do something and I really felt I had nothing to say and I thought I don't know what I want to say, but I know what I need to hear. So write that. And I think that's my mantra. If I get up in the morning and think, oh, I can't do it. I think, what what do I need to see? Do that. What do I need to hear? Do that. Who would I, who, what would I like to see someone else doing that I could copy? Do that. Be, be the, be the visualization, be the representation. Do the thing, say the thing and let your feelings catch up. Do something and let your feelings catch up. 
Deborah Francis White, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was an unqualified oh delight. Oh my God. <laughs> You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middelt. That was the last episode of Series 2, but we'll be back with Series 3 soon. If you like what you've heard and you miss us a little bit, then do buy the book, I'm Absolutely Fine, available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. This podcast was bravely sponsored by Hush. And we'll leave you with this thought. It takes a lot of therapy to be this shallow. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. (laughs) To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.